Hello, I'm Claire Dawson of CC Solicitors in Dublin. I'm here with my colleagues Meryl April of CM Murray in London, Carl Frederick Hedenstrom of Morris Law in Sweden and Anna Cozzi of Deverio and Florio in Milan, Italy. We are members of Inangard Executives, which is an international alliance specialising in advising senior executives and founders around the world. Its members are leading independent law firms with specialist employment law experience and excellent reputations for advising clients in relation to their employment, directorship, incentive and shareholding issues. Today, we're talking about senior executive moves of all kinds in the time of COVID. The pandemic has certainly given rise to different opportunities and challenges. For senior executives, some of them may be push or pull factors that result in them deciding to make a move. I'll be asking our experts from three different jurisdictions in Europe to talk about what's happening where they are. So starting with you, Meryl, I was going to ask what you've been seeing in terms of senior executive moves during COVID, in particular in the UK and the City of London, where you practice, which is really the heart of the financial services sector. So what, what have you been seeing? Yeah, thanks, Claire. We're seeing a lot of activity, actually, in the professional services and banking sectors in particular. And the most high profile case this year in the UK actually involved a high court dispute over a team move uh, between Stifle Nicolaus and Jefferies Bank. And that involved a team of six people moving to Jefferies with six million pounds at stake. Jefferies argued that the pull factor was the attractive salaries that they were offering, offering and that the move was ordinary and lawful recruitment. Uh, and the team were attracted by their package. The dispute, the dispute revolved around the fact that there appeared to be other factors at play and that poaching may have occurred. So we await the result of that. But it shows a high level of movement and activity in the London financial services market. And that is one of the pull factors that we have seen in operation throughout the COVID crisis. I think because some companies have actually done well out of it, depending on what their business is. And there are obvious ones such as a distribution, I suppose, that one can think of, and others have done less well. And therefore, some senior executives have voted with their feet and moved to get a better package. I think the other sort of push factors that we've seen are where a company has not handled the COVID crisis well. Maybe they've not addressed health and safety issues either at all or quickly enough. Maybe they've asked people to come into the office. And although generally the City of London is dead, we're certainly aware of a number of companies that have required their employees to come in and work in the office, whether it's notaries or traders, and they've not been able to move all the equipment and set everyone up at home. Or if they have, their culture just hasn't supported that. And some executives look around at their competitors and say, well, others have managed better. So I'm going to move um, to someone who will allow me more flexibility and maybe the opportunity to work from home. I think also, whilst it's not directly COVID related, COVID has definitely shone a spotlight on performance management issues. And we've seen this across all sectors, but especially in professional services, where people have perhaps been able to hide even though their figures have been getting worse or they've not been performing as well. But the pressure caused by COVID and pressure on margins 
has meant that companies are now taking action to deal with underperformance and actually pressurizing uh, senior people to leave. We've seen a number of examples of companies introducing a performance improvement plan and also aggressive use of the suspension uh, provision in the contract so that executives find themselves in a limbo, suspended, awaiting the outcome of an investigation. And when those people perhaps get worn down and decide to resign and go, there's a real danger that junior people loyal to them will also be persuaded to follow them out. So those are some of the things that we've been seeing in in the London market. Really interesting, Meryl. Sounds like there's actually a lot happening in in the London market in, in, in these kind of strange times. A lot of movement and definitely some opportunities uh, for movement. Carl, what are you seeing in Sweden? I think it's quite a different environment there. Yeah, well, at least as far as I know, there has not been that much executive-driven movement due to the COVID crisis, but there's been quite a lot of movement within companies. Of course, we've had full-time work and all that ever since March. A lot of foreign companies or foreign-owned companies have scaled down on their business in Sweden being a small market uh, due to the crisis. And that has also meant, of course, that executives within those companies have been laid off. So we've seen quite a lot of movement from both companies owned within the EU, but also from US companies that have shrunk in Sweden because of the financial pressure. And that has meant that a lot of both regular employees, but also executives have been sort of made redundant. Right. So a lot of a lot of restructuring happening uh, in terms of foreign owned companies, Carl. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm dealing with three or four right now, actually. And that's just our sort of business. So I would imagine that is going on all over the professional field that is affecting companies. Yeah. And those senior people who are being perhaps let go, I mean, what are their prospects? Are they walking into new roles or, or what's the market looking like? I think that depends on where you're at. There's always going to be a market for the really sort of high performers and, and, uh, and people with skills that are not readily available. But there is a problem for sort of mid, mid-management type roles that are actually shrinking. Uh, so there's not that many opportunities for those people. But uh, I wouldn't say that we have seen a huge increase in unemployment on the executive level, more on the sort of regular employment level where we have an employment figure going through the roof but not really on the executive level. Sure. And uh, turning to Italy then, Anna, again, the environment in Italy has been really quite different from both the UK and Sweden. What's been happening there in relation to individuals or teams moving, if at all? Yeah, it's very different in Italy uh, from other countries in the sense that COVID is having a profound impact on many companies, in some cases devastating and the current crisis and the consequent lockdown, however, uh, are also creating new experiences and opportunities. They are, first of all, speeding up the process of innovation of the labor market, but this is not all. The pandemic has not only stimulated innovation, but also the adaptability of companies and management, forcing them to use the resources we have always had in front of our eyes, but which for one reason or another had never been used. And this is precisely what managers are doing during today's emergency situation. In order to manage the crisis, they must find new ways to retain customers and regain competitiveness, including by changing business models, in order to adapt them to the changed economic and working context. According to Italian statistics, most managers 
we are talking of 79.3% of managers have a positive vision of the future of the labor market, while those who fear for business continuity are the minority. And in this context, new context, not only as the way of working changed, but new professional roles are also born. For example, you can see the new COVID manager, which is a manager who has the function of coordinating the implementation of, of prevention, prevention and control measure, measures and acting as a contact person for the structures of the uh, health system. Uh, so you can see that there are new professional roles who are uh, growing. And uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, we do not see significant changes in managers' turnover during this period of, of emergency. Uh, co companies are suffering, and in order to keep costs uh, under control, are using the tools provided for by the state, for example, redundancy fund and contribution exemption, being prohibited to trigger collective dismissal procedures as well as carry out individual dismissal for economic reasons, with the, except, the exception of managers, because managers can still be dismissed for economic reason even during this period. And in this, sorry, in this situation, companies that decide to hire and to give new professional opportunities are few. So uh, it's not the right time in Italy for managers to change employer or, or to undertake new professional challenges, for example, by op opening their own businesses. Business. Notwithstanding not, not the situation, uh, we did not see an, an increase in managers' dismissal. Uh, according to the opinion of key managers of the main Italian companies of various sectors, the trend seems to be to keep the workforce and encourage employees and managers, most of all, to be proactive and collaborate with their employer to help them react and get out of the crisis. Okay, that's so interesting, Anna. So it sounds like even though employers in Italy are prevented from making redundancies, as I understand it, right until the end of March 2021, that, that doesn't apply to senior executives, but nonetheless, they, they have not been affected either and that they don't seem to be letting go the more highly paid individuals. I mean, coming on to the next issue that we were going to discuss, I think one of the key issues for senior executives when they're leaving a role is the impact on deferred remuneration, whether in terms of their bonuses, their LTIPs, equity and so on. And I was interested to find out how you're seeing senior executives negotiating on this. What sort of deals are you seeing being struck on departures and how does it differ depending on whether the departure was truly voluntary or whether there was actually a, a push factor. Meryl, I know you had some thoughts on that from a UK perspective. Yes, thanks, Claire. It, this has really been a fascinating aspect of senior exec um, exits and moves in the last few months because there's a whole range of things going on. There, there certainly are some global companies that just say, this is our global plan. We have all the right provisions in the contract that mean that we don't have to allow accelerated vesting or any additional vesting once someone's gone. But there are also a number of much more flexible or vague plans out there. And you make a really good point, Claire, that where someone is uh, effectively being asked to fall on their sword and move on, but there are no performance issues, 
uh, companies, I think, are going out of their way to find a way to be fair to these senior execs that have perhaps, you know, spent the last year setting the company up for future success in 2021 and beyond, but aren't going to benefit from that. So, for example, recently we had a situation where in analysing the wording in the equity plans and rules, we were able to expose vagueness that applied to it. And as a result, after two or three months of negotiation, the company agreed to add over £100,000 to the redundancy package in cash because it wasn't able to do anything with the equity, but it recognised that there could be litigation if they didn't compensate the senior exec in that sort of way. Another really interesting one that uh, we dealt with recently related to um, a, a top global bank and this person was in that top tier of management of risk takers, uh, which are covered by the senior managers regime over here. And that means that there are a whole raft of provisions that make it difficult to give ex gratia compensation to a senior manager because um, following the last crisis, things were put in place to prevent bankers paying themselves or rewarding failure. So, in that case, uh, the proposal that was actually put forward by the bank because they valued this senior exec, even though they needed them to move on, was that they would take away that person's top role, the, the one that was governed by the senior manager's regime. In this case, from the 1st of January, the person would remain employed on garden leave until June, by which point they wouldn't have been a senior manager for six months and therefore they were able to be more flexible and generous with the package come termination so and mm. and actually vest additional equity awards to them so that was a very interesting one yeah i wonder if the regime or the the regulatory regime will catch up with that one at some point but that that's interesting and i know you're going to be coming up to bonus season in the city of london very soon Yes, thank you uh, for mentioning that. You're absolutely right. The traditional bonus season is January to March. And I do think that there'll be a lot of a lot of deals being done. First of all, there'll be an increased number of exits, voluntary exits, once people have got their bonus, because that always happens. And also, I think from the company side, there will be companies trying to avoid paying out bonuses and, and save cash. So I think that will weaken the bargaining position of senior execs where performance has been an issue. And I can see uh, problems where senior people are being removed so that junior people can take on the role more cheaply. If that's exposed, then I think the senior exec can deploy that to negotiate a good deal. But certainly bonuses are going to provide lots of activity, I think, in the next quarter. Yeah, so plenty of potential uh, negotiations, if not litigation, for you, you and your colleagues, Meryl. Um, mm. Anna, I know the impact on remuneration has been quite different from your perspective in Italy. How has remuneration been affected there? Yes, uh, as I was saying before, uh, COVID pandemic and the consequent me measures to limit its spread. Due to that, many companies has, have suffered a significant decline in production with heavy economic conse consequences. And uh, the use of redundancy fund uh, has allowed a reduction in personal, in personal costs uh, and has allowed companies to partially offset the loss in revenues 
but these measures were often not sufficient and in any case did not affect all categories of worker of workers as i was saying before the, these measures did not affect managers towards whom employers had to act differently for example by imposing forced holidays reducing remuneration etc we are reference to managers remuneration in particular in particular it should be noted that many companies, mainly banks and fashion industries in Italy, have stopped the distribution of dividends and bonuses. In particular, the financial, in the financial sector, the European Central Bank suggested employers to suspend the distribution of dividends and bonuses to managers during the COVID emergency and to use all aids received to support economy. But there are, have also been many initiatives undertaken directly by managers in this regard. In fact, there are many top managers of some of the largest and most famous bank and fashion industry, for example, who during the emergency have decided to give up bonuses and parts of their remuneration to donate them to social initiatives or to show solidarity with employees, with the rest of the employees. Another example of managers proactivity in this emergency period in the case of is the case for example of, of candy uber mr sergio milino which is the labor relationship relations manager of higher europe the, the holding company told us that managers decided on a voluntary basis to donate some of their days of holiday to the rest of the employees for example so we we can see also many many example of proactivity of managers and of solidarity from them to to the rest of the employees okay that's very interesting and i guess a reflection of the fact that as you explained earlier actually covid hasn't seen a lot of movement uh, it's more been about managing the impact and keeping keeping people in employment and keeping the workforce stable um, Carl, how about Sweden? What's what's happening there in terms of what are you seeing in relation to remuneration on exit? Well, I, I would put it on to two levels, the macro level and the and individual level. On the macro level, as I mentioned before, we, we still have a short-term work scheme in Sweden that has been extended now. And in order to get support under that scheme, you're not supposed to pay out any dividends. That otherwise you might be have to refund the money you receive from the government uh, pay salaries. So that of course has meant that a lot of dividend schemes have been sort of postponed for now. Anyway, when it comes to bonuses, it's not that really it's not really clear cut. Uh, it's okay to pay out lavish bonuses while at the same time receiving government support to pay for your blue collar workers. So so that's something that's probably going to be an issue going forward. On the individual level, I would say that when I've been dealing with, with exit or executives during the crisis, especially since we deal with companies that might close shop in Sweden once their employees are gone, it's been a lot about sort of uh, getting bonuses out as fast as possible, probably with a discount. So, so we've seen a lot of cases where people have been willing to sort of cut their bonuses short, but instead of getting them paid over the next six or 12 months, uh, getting paid in one lump sum as soon as possible to sort of cut your losses. So that's, that's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I think depending on the market you're in, the industry and the, the employer, 
certainly my clients are are wanting to see payment as soon as possible in whatever lump sums they're talking about rather than staggered because if there's any concern about the viability of a business or a particular subsidiary that that they're contracting with uh, they just want to make sure they get paid and as you say then be able to to move on um another another key issue for departing senior people are their post termination restrictions and their their non competes and their confidentiality obligations I, i'm wondering if if you're seeing any nuances or interesting issues arising in relation to the way these things are being handled because of covid so for example I've been seeing a number of employees who are wanting to argue that they've been constructively dismissed because an employer has has failed to pay out on a bonus or has delayed bonus payment date, meaning that that they will argue, of course, that there's been a, a repudiatory breach of their contract and their restrictions fall away. So it's an interesting time for that kind of thing. There, there could be some uh, moves to perhaps opportunistically point to a constructive dismissal situation. Carl, I was wondering what you've been seeing in relation to that in uh, in Sweden. Well, I haven't seen much of the sort of constructive dismiss- dismissal mm. discussion as such, but what we have seen is that since a lot of Swedish employees, even on the executive level, are union members, we've seen a lot of sort of uh, unions being quite aggressive when negotiating exits in the sense that even if you're on garden leave or uh, sort of free to take on another job but not a competing one during your notice period, uh, the unions are stressing that due to the tough market, we should lift those competing restrictions, non-compete restrictions, even during the notice period, which is something completely new to me. Naturally, you're still employed then during this period. Uh, it's another thing to sort of lift the non-compete restrictions after employment period because that that's something that's always been negotiated, uh, COVID or no COVID. But 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 this sort of frame of mind saying that you know the market is so hard, so you have to let our uh, members take on any job they want even during notice and keep the salary from the previous employer as well. Then so that that's something that's actually pretty new due to the crisis. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that is exceptional, really. But I am seeing I mean, it's a totally different framework here in Ireland, but I am seeing similar arguments where employees are saying, look, it's such a tough market out there. I need to be able to look for a job immediately and in whatever industry I possibly can, including the one I'm currently in. So I'm really looking for to be released from my non-compete with immediate effect. I'm I'm definitely seeing that. Meryl, what what about you? I, I know that you've seen uh, some some different things cropping up here as well, or some similar things to the ones we've seen in uh, Ireland. Yes, I, I would certainly echo um, the trend that you've seen in executives arguing that there have been breaches that are fundamental in relation to their pay or being uh, asked to take on different roles, sent home and so on, it, uh, as a way of trying to get out of the covenants and uh, yeah, that, that's a trend that we've seen. But another one, of course, um, that we have to touch on, I think, in December 2020 is, is the looming issue of Brexit. And we certainly have some employees in the financial sector who, from a regulatory perspective, cannot work from the UK from the 1st of January. So they have had to renegotiate their contract. And of course, that includes the covenants. And it's 
it's always a hot issue, isn't it, covenants? Mm. But I think here it is particularly sort of emotive because if you're moving to a new company, a new country, a new jurisdiction, and you don't really know how long you're going to be based there, uh, then the issue of covenants gets into a sharp focus and those kind of executives are looking to have no covenants or very short covenants or flexible covenants so that they can move with the times as they see how things pan out. Mm. And that makes sense, really, doesn't it, Meryl? Because we know that, you know, if, if they're based in a, 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 some of the jurisdictions in continental Europe, the approach to covenants there is totally different than it would be in, in the UK. So I, I guess that... Um, I guess that makes sense. What about the other things you're seeing? Are you seeing any arguments around breach of contract and that kind of thing? Yes, yes, definitely seeing a breach of contract arguments. And uh, another aspect, I think, is where people are going from an established company to a growth company. It's obviously very important for them to be able to build up Mm. that new company without fetter. And so there, individuals are looking to reach deals really with the incumbent employer whereby in the usual way they leave alone certain clients whilst being allowed to pursue other clients or work streams and um, one interesting one we had recently was where a very senior person was still on one month's notice uh, which came as a rather a shock to the employer when they resigned and uh, the deal that was done eventually because the covenants were inadequate to protect the employer is that the individual agreed to stay a bit longer. I guess that covered, uh, to some extent, the Christmas period and and the sort of lower activity period of January that's been caused by all the Brexit and COVID uncertainty. And they agreed to stay for three months instead of one on the basis that that would give their current employer protection, but then allow them to move on clean in the new year and in, as a bonus, they, of course, got paid for that period, whereas if it had been a case of them leaving and the employer trying to protect their position with a covenant or a springboard injunction, the individual wouldn't have got paid. So that was a sort of win-win compromise in that particular situation. Mm, yeah, OK. So so actually quite a lot of change in perhaps how these things are being approached at the moment And finally, just the the final question I really wanted to ask you all is, how are these things playing out in practice? Um, We all know that most senior executive departures are being, you know, are usually negotiated and agreed confidentially and they never get near a court. Has this climate, this COVID pandemic climate that we're in, has that made a difference? Are deals being done more quickly or, or are they taking longer are employers more willing to litigate in, in a difficult market? I mean, I know there can be a danger with an employer whose business is not going so well that they then have time on their hands to pursue a departing executive or a team, uh, particularly if they believe, rightly or wrongly, that the executives have done something wrong and and have breached their obligations while they were in employment, for example, and they've, they've taken confidential information or something like that. So the sort of the, the, the combination of a bit of time on their hands and a desire to try and make the departing employees hurt as well can be a dangerous mix. I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on how things are going in terms of litigation in the different jurisdictions. Anna, I know you, you've you said that COVID-19 has had an impact on the Italian courts. Yes, yes. At least in the field of employment law, 
in the sense that I was saying before, we have a ban on collective layoffs and individual dismissals for economic reasons up to uh, March 2000, uh, 2021, and the, the, the ban was introduced for the first time by the Italian law decree number 18 of 2020 in March 2020. And so uh, this had an impact on the workload of the Italian courts. In particular, um, in fact, less dismissal uh, means less trials. And this is the reduction of the workload is, is mainly due to that, I think. I see. Okay. And are you seeing any more um, litigation in terms of contractual claims? Um, I appreciate they may, they may follow a different route. Or has it just got quiet more generally in the courts there? I think that we, we will have no changes in that, in that area, I think. I, yes. I, I didn't see any changes and I don't think that there will be a significant change in that area. All right. And, and Carl, what about in Sweden? Are you, uh, is there a difference in terms of the timing of deals and whether they get to litigation, that kind of thing? I think things are moving a lot faster right now. Uh, you know, since, since most exit, if you sort of don't talk about the absolute top, the managing director level, but since most exits are union negotiated in Sweden, the unions are very keen on trying to get speedy resolutions of all their cases since they have such a huge workload with negotiations. So, so I've had cases where we've been done, you know, in half an hour and the top of litigation where I have sort of envisioned us discussing this for, for a week or so, <laughs> at least. Mm. So I, I had a merger and acquisition related issue about uh, two days ago where we were counting on doing this within a week and that was also the party's intentions and I was done with the unions in the afternoon. So, uh, so, so they're really trying to focus then on the really difficult cases and all the others are being handled extremely fast. And how how do you think that's playing out for individuals? I mean, are they getting better deals, or are they accepting sort of deals that that mightn't be uh, mightn't be as good in the end? I think that they actually are are accepting deals that are not as generous as they might have been a year ago. Uh, just sort of that they really want a deal. Yeah, you know, be- better a deal than no deal at all and no money at all. So uh, I think that the deals have uh, become less generous. Mm. And, we, and we've seen that previously, haven't we, in, in, in other um, recessionary sort of climates that, um, you know, the, the bargaining power is such that the individual may just take the deal just to, to get the cash in the bank, um, depending, on, depending on, on what resources they have at their disposal, I suppose, and what the potential value of any claims are. Um, Meryl, I suspect this is, um, it, things are a little bit different in the City of London and the financial services sector there. Yeah, I was listening with interest, actually, at at the moment, and it may be that this is all about to change in 2021. But at the moment, I would say I've seen more deals where actually the employer has been more generous to the senior executives. I mean, this is at the senior top level. And those kind of slightly creative deals that I've mentioned earlier have been going on. And also that negotiations are taking a long time because senior execs, are able to play on on the sort of guilt factor with the employer and uh, refuse to budge. But having said that, uh, there is a problem with the courts. They were the tribunals were locked down in the first lockdown from March to July, 
Now, I think most of the courts, including the tribunals, have got their head around remote hearings and a sort of new business as usual. But of course, there's a massive backlog. So I think where you've got an individual that does need cash to keep going, they will be aware that the recompense they can get from a court or a tribunal is going to be delayed. And therefore, they're going to have to come to the table and do a deal. And I think something, as you said, Claire, that we've seen in other recessions, the difficulty is that even a cash-strapped, or maybe especially a cash-strapped business, still has enough cash to pay for litigation stage by stage. And that is actually sometimes a cheaper option for them than paying out an individual a large lump sum. So I do think we're going to see in 2021 a lot of uh, litigation used tactically. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, we're certainly seeing that here. I mean, in a lot of cases, it's not in an employer's interest to push ahead to a hearing if if they can avoid it. And um, I think we're coming to the end of our time talking about senior executive moves and departures in the time of COVID. But I was just wondering if if any of you had any final thoughts uh, before we wrap up. Meryl, I know there's some interesting developments in the UK on non-competes, for example. Yes, it's not really COVID related as far as I'm aware. Um, As you said, Claire, the mechanism for restrictive covenants is very different in Europe And we've always been a bit out of kilter in the sense that in the UK, executives are never paid during a restricted period post-termination. But there is a new consultation that commenced on the 4th of this month, and that runs until the end of February. And there are a number of proposals in that, including a proposal that if employers want to non-compete, they're going to have to pay employees for the duration of that period. Uh, And there are lesser aspects to this potential reform, such as requiring employers to confirm in writing to employees the exact terms of a non-compete before their employment commences. Not too sure what that means over and above the contractual provision, but that's an interesting one. Introducing a statutory limit on the length of non-compete clauses or even banning the use of them altogether. I, I don't think that they're going to get banned but it will be interesting to see um, if any reform comes along and manages to get through the legislature in 2021. I think that's so interesting because I would assume that if a a statutory limit is put on the length of any non-competes, for example, that also means that that length of time will definitely be enforceable if it's been if it's if it's had that kind of approval and we might see a lot fewer arguments around a lot less argument around the the issue of whether a non-compete is for the right length of period uh, the right length of time or not um it's really interesting because i'm certainly seeing in ireland uh, more and more employers are considering putting in something akin to what is used in continental Europe in order to ensure that post-termination covenants are considered more uh, enforceable, more likely to be enforceable. So they're paying a percentage of salary, for example, for the period of the restriction in some cases. So it's interesting to hear about those developments in the UK. Carl Frederick, Anna, I wondered if you had any final comments before we wrap up. Well, I was just going to say that that will mean that both Ireland and the UK will be more like we already have 60% and an 18-month cap on non-compete losses. So, so, that's, so that's an interesting development. Yeah. And Anna, any, any final thoughts? Um, uh, yeah, I don't have any thoughts on, on non-compete, but I have a final thought on 
COVID and uh, managers in the sense that I think that COVID has created devastation, but also uh, new big opportunities also for managers. For example, uh, I, I need to point out that the, the, the birth in Italy of the new skill fund, skills fund, which is called Fondo Nuove Competenze, which allows companies of any sector and size to be able to reorganize their working hours by adapting it to the change in organizational and production need and decide to use part of it to have employees and mostly managers carry out training courses. This pandemic put everybody in front of the fact that market needs can change very fast, so we have to, to be ready to, to change. And this new fund uh, allows managers and other employees to, to be up to date. That's great, Anna. And I, that's a, sort of a really positive note to end on, really, that sort of support coming for employees to adapt to the new environment. Um, I'd like to thank um, my colleagues from Inangard Executives, Meryl April, Carl Frederick Hedenstrom and Anna Kotze for joining me here today to talk about what is happening for senior executives in their jurisdictions in these unusual times. And thank you for listening. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Inangard Executives podcast. For more information, please find us at inangard.global forward slash executives.